0: So Ephesians 6, 1-4 says these words, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for it is right. Honour your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you might live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Paul is talking about family here, and he's got two unique categories he's speaking into. Children and fathers within the family unit. Now there's a backdrop that needs to be built around this. Firstly in Ephesus, where was Ephesus? Ephesus is in modern day Turkey, it's a port. it's a great place of trade and industry and it had about 300,000 people in it. But probably the most striking feature of it was the temple to the goddess of Diana which had over a hundred columns within it and it was considered one of the seven wonders of the world and Diana was the goddess of fertility which means, because the kids are out, sex (laughs) and the people from the surrounding regions would arrive and ask Diana if she would bless them with children and with better sex so within this culture of sex and fertility Paul chooses to bolster the family and he just doesn't choose to do it here he writes the same words t- t- in the Colossians 3 and he pretty much says the same thing children obey your parents and everything for this pleases the Lord fathers don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged But the wider thing which the Bible promotes is the place of the family and the place of children. You see in the Godhead in Genesis 1, the Godhead out of pure love creates everything. The family of God creates all. You see on Sinai receiving the law and one of the first commandments is to honor your father and your mother. The very nature of God through Jesus is to find people on the peripherals and to ask them, do you want to join the family? And because of that, they join the universal family farm where they've got a special role just for you. And God even more than that shows presidents to children. You see him in the words of the gospel saying, let the little children come and do not forbid them, do not silence them for such is the kingdom of heaven. And now these words become more potent as they are moved to Ephesus and Paul talks directly to children and tells them to honour their father and their mothers. And I can't tell you how counter-cultural that thought is because in society back then children had no voice, zilch, neither, but Paul addresses them directly in his letter to show them how much he means to them. How much of a place they have. And among the backdrop of sexual worship and immorality, Paul speaks about the family to the family. Why? Because the authenticity of our message to the world is found here. So the awkward question in the room is this. What's your relationship like with your family? <laughs> I had a super good upbringing, I felt loved from the day that I was born, I was heavily churched, uh, I went to church in the womb, uh, my girlfriend Shannon makes fun of me because uh, she said I didn't have any hobbies growing up, I just went to church and she like was in things and I just like went to evening services, so I had a great upbringing. And some of the most traumatic things that honestly happened in my upbringing were that my fish died and that we had fish funerals in the back garden where we prayed to Jesus and we put a stone over them and uh, bubbles if you're up there, God loves you <laughs> and like i've had a good upbringing and like those are the only cards that i've been dealt but whether you've had like a great upbringing or not there's this moment that happens where the veil slips, and you see for the first time like the frailties within your own parents. And that might be that they've never been there, or that might be that they've hurt you, or that might be that they've put you in a position and forced you to struggle. And I'll play King of Fools, that it may open the conversation tonight on two fronts, because it's laughable when I get given this particular topic, because I find it all super difficult. I find my relationship with my mum in particular super difficult for a number of reasons. She's got super strong views on everything and if I was to kind of distill her down and put her into a box, which I have, uh, I would say that she was a right wing charismatic fundamentalist. A right wing charismatic fundamentalist. Right wing in the sense that she believes that Donald Trump is the right man for the presidency, and it is God's right man for the job, <laughs> <laughs> charismatic in the sense that she believes in Jesus, which is great, and the power in his spirit, which is amazing, but is militant about it in the sense that I can't go into the house with a common cold without a going, <coughs> this common cold isn't allowed in this house in the name of Jesus and lays hands on you. Amen. Amen. Listen, brother. Bless <laughs> I feel her. like you guys would be proud uh, and, uh, and fundamentalist in the sense that like for a few more Fundamentalist in the sense that the world was unequivocally made in seven days that climate change is a myth and it's her way or the highway. Now all these things like sound like in the sense that they're like opinions but the way they're presented is not opinions, the way they're presented is fact. And I like, as a youth worker, um, I strive and live for like conversation, like dialogue between people where they can sit down, level themselves, look eye to eye, and like explore the world together. But that doesn't have really felt like I've ever been able to do that with my mom. And because of that, like, the way that I've kind of coped with it is to glaze over like, is in the sense to show a version of myself which is in some way inebriated, in some way not the real version of myself to get by because I don't really honour her. And you know what, right? I really didn't want to do this talk tonight because I was quite happily dishonouring my mother. And, uh, but I've realised that I need to humble myself. And I need to have conversations and hard conversations with it. Why? Because the authenticity of our message to the world is found in here. And I need to realise, I need to be honest about how I feel. And that I struggle to know what to say around her. And I need to know that, I need to be able to tell her that Honor isn't robbing her the opportunity to be a real person in my life and for her to be my mum and to like enter into the hard places together. Like honour is not like taking cheap digs to my friends because it's funny that she believes this stuff. Like honour is this deep level where I allow her some sort of privilege and space into my life because of who she is. And I have now aware that for the majority of my adult life. That is something that I've done. What would it be like for us to honour our family members and to re-enter the room with them? To pray for our family, to heal the wounds of the past, to do real life with them? It sounds preposterous in some ways. And you're right. And imagine 2000 years ago in Ephesus, to a backdrop in which we just spoke about. It must have seemed nuts. And you know what? It is. Because within our own humanity, when we get down to it, we think some of our family members have really blown it. And they no longer deserve it. I'm not honoring that bitch. How could I honor her? Not after they did that to me. There's no way. Not after they took all the money. Are you having a laugh? And I'm not asking us here to reopen unhealthy relationships. That's not good for anyone's mental health. I don't think that's of Jesus. I don't think Jesus would open us up to heart. But what I'm asking them to do, and what I'm asking me to do, is how can we deny them the grace and honour that we so freely receive in Christ, and now judge that they no longer deserve it? Why honour the family? Because authenticity of our message is found here. There's this physical family which he speaks about, like we are blood related, like you are my child, I'm your son, you're my mother. Paul refers to that here, but Paul speaks in this context to, to a church, a body of people. And as Christians, we enter into two families. We have our own physical, genetic family, and then we have this great cosmic, divine family that's found in the church. So if we're to read the letter like this, it may go like that. Children of the church, obey your parents and the Lord, for it is right. Honor your fathers and your mothers, for this is the first commandment, that it may go well with you, and you might live long in the land spiritual fathers do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord and this is where the second layer of the cake of honouring your father and mother and honouring your family gets even funnier because I suck at this too um, a classic example of this is when we were leading youth gigs me and my ex-girlfriend were leading youth gigs and. Uh, a mystical, magical land of Livingston, and uh, we were seeing people getting saved a lot. We, it was a, it was young people poorly playing instruments, um, and I was playing instruments, so I can say that. And then I would do a short, punchy gospel talk at the end of it, and um, people would got saved, and it came out of a church in Livingston, and uh, it was really interesting because kids were getting saved, but there were some people in the church that really didn't like it, like. For various different reasons, but um, the the woman who was running the worship in the church, who had been there for years, like started started talking some smack about the event, like started lying about the event, and I remember um, thinking, you know, this is awful. How can she say this? So um, I, I I went to her and I confronted her and I basically like looked to her, bang in the eyes, and I said, like, you know, you've been doing this, you've been doing that, and, like, you're a liar. <laughs> and, like, it was, like, the worst thing to do, because, like, I saw her, you know when see, you see someone, like, revving up, like, going through the gears in their mind? This woman was revving up before my eyes, and, like, the two of us just, like, were having this match of, like, you know, like, a proper peacock face-off, like, you know, like, all this stuff, and it was it was awful and we we were having this conversation in this rented space, much like we're doing tonight and um, the caretaker from the building at the end of the service kind of walked in and me and this woman are, you know, saying all this and pointing and you're a liar and you're this and this woman like looked at us and then she was obviously saddened by what she saw and she turned away. Why? because the authenticity of our message to the world is found in how we treat one another. And I couldn't in that moment, and with the 2020 vision of hindsight, I couldn't see that I neglected her to involve her in this thing that we were doing with the youth. Like that all the years that she'd been sown the the fallow ground and, you know, just doing the hard stuff and keep being faithful. Like, I'd completely patched her in this process and, like, hurt her. And sure, she lied, like, but, like, the way I went about it wasn't kind. And I'll close with this. The more and more that time passes, I am confirmed by this one thing about church, that there's only one way to do it, intergenerational ecclesiology. Now, what does that mean? I hear you say. Intergenerational, every age, everybody gets to play. Ecclesiology, ecclesia, people of the way, the sent ones, the church, every member gets to play. Church has its moments where the youth can hang out, that's flipping great. The men in sheds boys have their moments where they can hang out, that's flipping great. But there's something powerful and divine and that is the church about us hanging out together. This week, I had the most profound conversation with a woman in her 60s and we met together and I had a coffee. And this woman, when we met together, had a coffee, honored me so much that she told me in the most politest way of a way that she, I hurt her. Right? And the way that I hurt her, once I opened myself up to that, I realised that she had answered a question that I had been asking myself for two years. Like, it was amazing. I have the richest friendships with people in their 60s and their 70s, um, people in their 40s, men, women, have a, a brilliant window and a front row seat to real life because I really believe in this intergenerational ecclesiology. I think, like, so this is a stupid thought, but like, I, I feel like I need to say tonight as well that there's some people who feel like their time with God is over because they're like, because they're in their 50s and their 60s and all the the young people are doing stuff and it's all wonderful but like, I think one thing that I've learned and I think that some people need to hear is that we need the spiritual fathers and mothers to like spur us on and to keep us going and like, when you think that your days with God are over, they're not and like, for every um, loudmouth evangelist they need like somebody to centre them and take them out for coffee and just love them. And the people need time and people need listen to. And like there is a role and there's a space for you. There's only one way up the mountain. We go as sons and we go together. And I truly believe that. And why would we go to all the strains of do this? So that the world might know. And we will fall out a hundred and fifty percent like Exhibit A and Exhibit B that I've just given but we should follow it well, Bonhoeffer says this about the youth it might, be, it might be that the youth have the right to protest against their elders and if that be the case however, the authenticity of such process will be demonstrated by the youth's willingness to mean solidarity with the guilt of the church community and to bear in love the penitence before God's word, aka, like, the youth don't have the answers, and if they find something that's different from it, the way, the authenticity of the way that they protest will be demonstrated in the love that they have for one another. There's only one way up the mountain. We go as sons and we go together. So, like, maybe tonight is an opportunity to ask God back into the conversation about our family to cut down that sacred secular divide and to think about where God is missing from our relationships. Is it with a parent? Is it with a spouse? Is it with your children? Where is God missing? Where are you sinning in a relationship? And where is your church family in that conversation? I only have questions, and I hope that some of what I've tried to convey tonight is that I don't have it all together. But God's good. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word that comes to us sharper than any two-edged sword and meets us here. And I thank you that your word tells us to honour your father and mother, so that it may go well with you and that fathers, do not provoke your children to sin. And we just think about our relationships that we have and we just give them to you. We ask you to fill that space again, where things seem hopeless, where things seem follow, where the seeds of derision have been sown, will new life spring up. Lord Jesus, and I think of Isaiah in the temple, so an Israel that was destitute and that was barren, where the king had died in disgrace. And yet Yahweh turned up to him, the Lord of hosts, and he says, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips, but my eyes have seen the king. Lord Jesus, and we may feel that we are unclean in our relationships with our family or that it's so messed up. But I thank you that you take a call from the altar and you touch our lips. And you say our guilt is taken away and our sin is atoned for. So Lord Jesus, may you re-enter the room. May we just be words that be here tonight, but may they be from you. The authenticity of our message will be found in how we speak it to the world and how we show it. Amen.